So we are walking through the book of Proverbs. I want you to go to Proverbs 3. That's the next chapter we're looking at. And oddly enough, there's still context here, but I'm going to walk you over. You stay there, and I'm going to read you a story in the New Testament that uh, you have to understand, and if you don't get this, then you'll misapply chapter 3. So we want to make sure we apply that correctly. So you go to chapter 3, but I want you to listen. We talked about this. Remember, he starts the book off, and he says, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Now, we struggle with that because we've got this statement in 1 John, perfect love cast out fear, but there are two different types of fear. There's a fear that he will not take care of me in life, which is rebuked. There's a fear that somehow he and I have a problem even though I'm a child of God. That's rebuked, but the third fear is not rebuked. Now, listen to this. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let's go to the other side. So on the Sea of Galilee, leaving the crowd, they took with him, or took him with him in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose. The waves were breaking into the boat, so the boat was already filling. Now remember, that doesn't mean anything to us, because we have Coast Guard and life vest and all this kind of stuff. There's no Coast Guard, no life vest. This boat flips over. They're all going to die. And they know that. These guys have fished on this lake for years. But he's even the stern asleep on the cushion. There's just not much that bothers Jesus. And they woke him and said to him, Oh, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He awoke. He rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Now listen to this. He rebukes them. He said, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Now he rebukes them for that fear, right? But now listen to the very next thing. And they were filled with great fear. A different fear. And said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? He does not rebuke them for that fear. You're not to be afraid that he can't take care of you in your life. And you're not to be afraid that somehow you and he don't have a relationship. But you're to fear him in the sense that day by day you know who he is more and more and more. And as you understand who he really is, that's going to create an awe and a fear and a reverence that will impact who you are. Now, so I want you to hold Mark 4 right here. And I want you to go with me to Proverbs 3, and I want you to listen to what he says so that we don't misapply this. So we're coming back here and listen to what he says. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days In years of life and peace, they will add to you. Now, listen to what he says, okay? He says that if you take God's commandments and you keep them, it doesn't mean you're going to live a long time. That's not the statement. Psalm 139 says your days are ordained for you. So that's not the statement. What he does say is length of days. In other words, the greatness that's in the day will be lengthened for you. And years of life and peace will come to you if... You obey what God says. Now, when he says peace there, you need to understand. Most of the time, it's not that we get along and we have buddies. It's the idea always of God's best in your life. So if I want the creator's best, and I want years of that, years of his life and peace, I want his best, and I want what's good in a day to be lengthened then I keep his commandments. That, though, 
is the question today. We are in a different day. I want you to listen. Uh, Rob Bell is a pastor of a very large church, Mars Hill, not the one in Seattle, but in another city, and he is renowned among young people, had a very effective ministry. So in February 2015, Bell and his wife Kristen are doing a Valentine's weekend episode with Oprah. That should be enough right there. But at any rate, <laughs> here's what it says. Bell said, one of the, and this is absolutely true, one of the oldest aches in the bones of humanity is loneliness. Loneliness is not good for the world. Now, here we go. Whoever you are, gay or straight, it is totally normal, natural, and healthy to want someone to go through life with. It's central to our humanity. We want someone to go on the journey with. The statement prompted a question from Oprah. Well, when is the church going to get that? Now, here's Bell's response. We're moments away. I think culture is already there. And the church will continue. Now, listen. You think about what we just read, right? That his commandments give us life. They give us his best. Listen to what he says. I think the church will continue to be even more irrelevant when it quotes letters from 2,000 years ago as their best defense. When you have in front of you flesh and blood people who are your brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, co-workers, and neighbors, and they love each other and they just want to go through life with someone. So now you face the choice. Is Solomon right or is Bell right? The problem I hear is that for a lot of people, it's Bell. We've begun to embrace what our culture says when Proverbs clearly says, if I obey his commandments, that's when all this good stuff happens. So that, flip side, if I ignore his commandments, it doesn't. And that's where we are. We have to come to a place where we decide, you know what? It is 2,000 years old. It is dusty. But it's still true. Now, this is where you have to come. Rich young guy comes to Jesus, right? Comes up and says, hey, uh, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, well, have you kept the commandments? He says, oh, yeah, I've kept them all right. Uh, I've kept them all. I've done exactly what I'm supposed to do. And Jesus said, well, I'll tell you, you got one more deal here. Why don't you take all your stocks, all your camels, all your money, sell it, liquidate it, and give it away. And then I want you to come and hang out with me. Now the Bible makes an interesting statement. It says he left sorrowful because he had a lot of wealth. So what Jesus did in a brilliant move is he put this guy in a position, I'm not even sure he would have had to have done that, but he put him in a position where he's got to choose that, whether that, that, that Jesus' teachings will do more for him than his money. That in fact, who Jesus is and what he says is going to enrich your life more than your bank account can, and he simply can't go there. Neither can Rob Bell. It is where you have to go. You have to come to a place where you say, you know what? I don't even like what God says. But I think it's the key to what I haven't known. And you have to do that. Now, let me tell you, you've got to obey the text, though, right? He says, if you... Don't keep my commandments. You have to keep them. You can't be emotionally excited about them. You've got to keep them. 
There was a football game on last Monday night. Perfect sermon illustration just for your deal with it. So, at my house, when I watch an Alabama game, particularly an important game, I don't have anybody over. I don't cuss, but I can go crazy. So all through the game, I heard two statements from my wife, one of which is true and one of which is not. All through the game, I heard my wife say, you're scaring the dog. That's true. I'm good. And then she said, they can't hear you, and that's not true. I stood nearly the whole game in front of the TV yelling, I'm just going to say it, I'm taking credit for the game. I'm yelling at Saban going, take him out. Put the Hawaiian guy in. Saban heard me. Good kid, Jalen Hurts, but no quarterback. So he took him out, put the guy in, we won. I get the credit. My wife is wrong. So, I'm emotional. I'm into it. But at the end of the day, I don't throw a pass. I don't run a route. I don't catch a ball. I don't block anybody. I don't tackle anybody. I don't punt. I don't kick. I should have kicked, but I don't. Because no matter how emotional I am about the game, I'm not in the game. Now, you can be emotional all you want. You can go to breakaway. You can go to church. You can get emotional about what God says. Say, well, it's really neat truth. You can be emotional about it, but let me tell you something. Till you put it in your life, I don't care how emotional you are. You're not obedient to Proverbs 3, and that's why it doesn't work. It works when he says, you don't forget and you keep those commandments. If I don't keep them, if I don't put them in my life, then it doesn't work. The Bible doesn't work because you're thrilled about it and because you're excited about it. It works when you pull it into your life and then it alters who you are. When the Republicans were in there, remember the Republican Democrats were running for office, right? The primaries. You had like three Democrats and 87 Republicans. Remember that? One of the Republicans, we won't use his name here, uh, Claimed to be a great Christian, probably is, but, but, you know, talked about his walk with Christ and all this stuff. So his tax statement came out. And it was discovered that he gave zero to his church. Zero. So you look at 3.9. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. That's grape juice in the Hebrew. So, he says that you honor God, that's the first check you write. And Huckabee, who was running for office at the time, had a great line. He said about this person, we'll call him Bob. About Bob, he said, you know, it's hard to say that Jesus is first in your life when he's last in your checkbook. And so, you have this verse, 9 and 10. You have to decide. It's neat. It's cool. Wow, I give and he'll bless. No, can't be emotional about it. You've got to obey it. 
When somebody really rips you off at work, they take your idea, they take it to the boss, they get the promotion, they get the raise, they get the money, they get all the stuff. What do you want to do? You want to hurt them. Bible says that you have to pray for them and bless them. So again, we've talked about this. You can't pray, God, uh, kill them tomorrow in Jesus' name, amen. You can't do that. You have to pray for God to bless the person that ripped you off. That's the obedience to the scripture. I want you to listen. You stay in Proverbs. I want you to listen to this in Isaiah 55. Listen to what he says. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth, bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Now listen. So shall be my word that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to be empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Now, does he say that when I read this I have to feel it? Or I have to sense it? No. I read this and he will take it and do in my life what his purpose is for it. Now, not trying to be hard today. So I'm going to say this with a smile, okay? When you get up scrolling Facebook and you go to bed scrolling Facebook and you don't turn a page in this book, you just don't get it. Get a lot of likes, but you want to know who he is. Because when you obey those commandments, that's when things are good in your life. It's okay, preacher, I got it. So I'm going to go home today. I'm going to take his commandments. I'm going to obey them because they're going to bless my life. No. No. Now listen to me. You don't ever take the consequences and make them the purpose. The consequences are if I obey the commandments that years of life and peace, my days, and the goodness in those days will be lengthened. That is a consequence of obeying the commandment. But it is not to be the reason I obey the commandment. That is different. Now, go with me to Matthew 17. Matthew 17. I want you to listen. Now remember, we talked about the fact, right, in Mark 4, Jesus rebukes a fear in First John, that you think you and Jesus are not okay? He rebukes the fear that you don't think he can take care of you, but he does not rebuke the fear where you're amazed at who he is and it produces a fear in you that does something unique. Now listen to Matthew 17. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, led them up on a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured before them. His face... Shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Now, come on. These guys are us. They're normal people. If we know anything about Peter, that guy was normal. If you're up there with Jesus, you've been walking around with a guy that really doesn't look any different than you. He's got one thing of clothing. He eats like you do. He drinks like you do. He talks like you do. He sleeps. He gets tired. And you get up on top of this mountain, and all of a sudden, he's transfigured. His face is as bright as the sun. His clothes are dazzling white. Now, come on. That's going to scare the bejeebies out of you. 
which is a Greek word. Now, Behold, in verse 3, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking to him. So it's bad enough, right, that you're looking at this guy that you thought, really, yeah, he's God, but maybe not. Now, boy, you realize who he is. And then all of a sudden, two guys appear. For some reason, you know their names. It's Moses and Elijah, the two greatest figures in the Old Testament. And they're standing there now with you. Do not tell me you're not scared. You're terrified. So what does that kind of fear do? Look at the next verse. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Listen to me. If you think you and Jesus are at odds, that fear pushes you away from Christ. If you think he can't handle you in your life, that fear pushes you away from Christ. Listen, but when you really get who he is as best you can get it, that fear pulls you to Jesus. That's why Solomon said the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Why? Because it pulls you to Jesus. It doesn't repulse you. It doesn't drive you away. That fear pulls you into his presence. You've got to be terrified he's transfigured. Two guys from the Old Testament that are alive, you're standing on the mountain with him, and your first response is, this is great. That fear, that unbelievable awe that you possess as the understanding of who Jesus is begins to widen and deepen in your life, it pulls you into the presence of Christ. And what happens? Oh, there's a massive change. Go to the book of Revelation chapter 2. Listen to this. Now, in chapter 1, he says, golden lampstands are, are the churches and the angels of the seven churches of the stars, that is, the pastor. So you, you have a letter to the pastor that he brings to the church. Now, listen to this. Beginning in verse 2. Now, here's the church in Ephesus, all right? Here's Jesus sent the message to the pastor. He's bringing it to them. Now listen, listen, listen to Jesus. I know your works. So this church is, right, busy. They got a bunch of ministry going on. They leave the building once a month. Joe Lynn would shoot me if we even thought about doing that. So they're busy. I know your toil and your patient endurance. They don't quit. Even when things are hard, they keep going. You cannot bear with those who are evil. They are a moral congregation. You're doing something they shouldn't do. They will put you out. They are moral. Look at this. But you've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. Their theology is sound. I know you're enduring patiently, bearing up for my names. You've not grown weary. So, Understand, right? They're active. They work hard. They don't quit. They have a moral high character. And their doctrine is down the line with the scripture. So you would think, right? Jesus would say, keep going. And that is not what he says. Look at this. I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, 
I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now, I want you to listen to what he said, okay? These guys are obedient. They're moral. They're long-suffering. They work hard. They don't quit. They're sound theologically. And Jesus says, if you don't fix the problem you have, I'm going to take your church and do away with it. That is a staggering statement. Here's the deal. You don't obey the commandments because of the consequences. You obey the commandments, listen, because you're in love with the one that wrote the commandments, Jesus Christ. You're in love with him. And that fear pulls me to him. And as it pulls me to him, I understand more and more who he is. I fall more and more in love with him. And if you don't make that your motivation... And you decide to go home and go, you know, I think we'll keep the commandments because it's really got some cool stuff. Listen, if you do that, here's what you'll do. You'll focus on the commandments and you'll wreck them. What does the Bible say? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, right? So I grew up, Southern Baptist Church. Oh my, Sabbath day was holy. Sunday school, Sunday morning worship. Training union, Sunday night worship. And in training union, you, none of you will believe this, but you actually had a little piece of paper you had to fill out about this big. You put your name on it, and it had five blocks, right? Did I attend church? Did I give? Did I read my Bible verses? And you had little Bible verses, and I'm a really fast reader, so what I would do, I'd come in five minutes before training, and you'd read the verses, and then go, yeah, I did. I checked the boxes, buddy, because that's what it was. And if you came in and made the mistake of being honest, when they said, what did you do this afternoon? You said, hey, man, we played football. Oh, my. You have sinned against a holy God. And when we told them we'd played poker, <laughs> that didn't go over well. <laughs> I remember when I came here. Deacon is still here in this church. He operates one of his doors. We're going to call him Bill. I came here 31 years ago. In my first year, I had a lady call me. And she said, I want to talk to you about one of your deacons. Okay. Did you know what he did Sunday? He mowed his yard. I remember thinking, I'm sorry, he did what? He mowed his yard. So I asked what I thought was a relevant question, right? I said, does he mow yards all the time? No, but he mowed it on Sunday, and that's against God, and he sinned, and he needs to be removed as a deacon. My real thought is, no, you need me removed from this planet. But <laughs> I didn't say that. I did think it, but I did not say it. That's how crazy we get. See, if the fear of the Lord pulls me to him, and I fall in love with him, and he says to me, Chris, I want you to take one day a week, and you don't do what you do the other six days. I want you to love me on that day, and I want you to relax on that day. Well, Lord, what does that mean? It doesn't mean anything except those two things. However, you love me on that day and worship me with other people, and what you do the rest of the day, that's your deal.
I just want you not to work on that day. All of a sudden, I've got this incredible freedom in Christ, which I will have if I focus on who he is and not trying to get commandments to make my life good. I don't focus on the commandment. I focus on the one that wrote the commandments. When I grew up, there was a movie that terrified me. (laughs) It's embarrassing to admit, but the movie that terrified me the most was Wizard of Oz. <laughs> the reason he did because those flying monkeys. <laughs> wasn't worried about the witch. I had a squirt gun. <laughs> so I wasn't worried about the witch. But those flying monkeys scared me to death. Because they flew in open windows and took you out of the room. So you had to sleep carefully. In that movie, once they got past the flying monkeys and the witch, they wind up in Oz and they find out when they go behind the curtain, right, that this guy is a fraud. He's a short guy with a big loudspeaker. He's a fraud. And so the movie ends, you're like, ah. See, we're not like that. When God opened up his veil, We see him, king of kings, lord of lords, creator of the universe, six days, spoke it in existence, put his son on the cross to pay a penalty so you could be his child. That's who you see behind our veil. You find him, and this other stuff will fall right in place. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your truth. The amazement of it. The impact of it. And Father, create in us in this room a healthy fear of who you are. So we love you. So that when we obey your commandments, we do them with your freedom, your power, and your blessing. Honor us in that today. I ask you that in the name of Jesus Christ. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. You never met Jesus? It's a great day to find him. Because he's behind that veil and he's legit. God's calling you to be a part of this fellowship. Whatever decision he lays on your heart, if you just need to come down here and kneel and pray, that's why the staff's here. We'll be glad to pray with you. If you want to bypass us, just pray at the altar. As the Holy Spirit speaks to you this morning, you come.